Ephesians 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 21. In other words, that entire chapter. You'll notice many of the same themes that we've been encountering already in Colossians. Ephesians 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles, that word also means nations, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that the, through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So far from Ephesians 3, then let's turn also to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 verse 21 through chapter 2, verse 7. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, 
of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, or nations, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So far, the word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm. This morning is Colossians 1, verses 24 through 2, verse 5. It's pretty dense, so let's read those verses again so we can have them in front of us as we are preparing to hear them preached. Colossians 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, I really want to focus on verse 27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the, full, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So far, the word of God. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we spent our attention on verses 13 through 23, right before our text. And in those verses, we saw how Paul just lays out for us 
the greatest imaginable news ever, which is all that God has done for us in Christ, in bringing us out of that old kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Christ. And Paul wants this to be first and foremost on our minds, for that knowledge to rule our minds, to shape and transform our lives. So again, verse 13, this is the main message of Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 13 He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the the main thesis, you can say. And then verses 15 to 23 focused on the significance of that news, especially uh, when you consider the greatness of the majesty of Christ. You, You haven't been brought to just any kingdom, you've been brought into the kingdom of Christ, the Son of God. And he, and he goes on and just lists the glories of Christ. Who is this, this Son of God? Well, he's the image of the invisible God. Is that not a tremendous thing? The Creator of heaven and earth and everything in them, including every rule and power and authority. If you recall, one of the obsessions in the Colossian church was this obsession with angels and access to their spiritual powers. And and Paul's saying, you belong to Christ who created every rule and power and authority. There's no greater access to spiritual power that you could ever have that you don't already have in Christ. Uh, The one, he is also the one who exists before all things and is independent of all things, being God Himself, He not only stands outside of creation, but He holds all of creation, including the angels and every spiritual force. He holds them all together. He is further the one in whom God dwells bodily. And then He is also the one who is reconciling all things, including you, to Himself. Uh, And so the news of what God has done for us in Christ truly is the greatest imaginable news ever. It blows everything else out of the water. Uh, and And so it needs then to become, since it is the greatest news, it needs to become the most significant thing in our minds. And so that's what Paul really tries to drive home in verses 13 through 23. Uh, We need to know this truth. We need to remember it. It needs to live in our minds every single day. We need to preach it to ourselves every day until we know it at such an instinctive level that it's, it's our ground, our foundation that we stand on. And then it will shape and also define our lives. So that's, that's the purpose of this entire letter, that the gospel would sink so deeply into us and so fill us that it would completely transform our lives. Uh, so know, know the amazing news of what God has done for you in Christ. If you want a one-sentence summary of Colossians, there it is. Know it well, and it will shape your entire life. That was our focus last week. If you want to sum up our text this morning, it is this. Now go and grow and deepen in that knowledge. Grow and deepen in that knowledge. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ for you and for all the nations has massive implications for for everything in our lives 
as well as everything in the world and in human history, know the significance of the gospel. Everything, down to the the smallest details of our lives, will be changed by what Christ has done for us. It is transformed by His life, death, and resurrection. And, And the more we grow in that understanding then, the idea is this, the more we grow in that, the more we will discover the riches, keyword, the riches of all that we have in Christ. Now, this is a very dense text. Paul loves to use the word of, and you see it a lot in this text. So, for example, he speaks of the riches of the glory of uh, the riches of the glory of the mystery of Christ. A lot of ofs in there. It's pretty easy to, to lose your track. Um, as you as you try to follow Paul along, so we want to kind of unpack some of these phrases so that we don't get lost in in the details. So we know what Paul is talking about, and you notice these three words that just come back over and over in these texts. Uh, they're all right in the title of of the sermon, and and they're all essential to understanding the text: uh, riches, glory, and mystery. You see these words over and over. Uh, And you can see all three of them together in verse 27. So that's going to be our focus this morning, especially verse 27. Uh, Let's read that verse. He says, To them, to the saints, the Christians who believed in Jesus, God God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, or nations, same word, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there's all all three of those words, riches, glory, and mystery. And and you can see the relationship between those words in that verse as well. It's the riches of glory of the mystery. There's there's the relationship, and we're going to unpack what exactly that means. Uh, What Paul is saying, in in essence, is there are riches to be obtained. uh, Riches for your life, in your joy, in your faith, in in your growth in holiness. There are great riches to be obtained in the knowledge of the glory of God. So as you come to know God's God's glory, His, His significance, His beauty, His wisdom, His splendor, His majesty. As you come to know the glory of God, there are riches to be obtained, and and they are found in looking at what Paul calls the mystery of of Christ, the mystery of God, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, that's a long train of thought, so I'm going to reword it uh, a couple of times just to make sure we have it in in our minds. Uh, There are great riches wonderful, joyful riches to be obtained in discovering and understanding the glory of God in Christ. In, uh, and, and the more you see the glory of God in Jesus, the more uh, wonderful and rich those, those, those riches will be. Or to put it another way, uh, study Jesus Christ, there's your mystery, study Jesus Christ and you will discover unimaginable glory, and the more you know that glory, you will find incredible riches for your joy, for your life, for your faith. That's the the line of thought that Paul is working on. So I want to just unpack all three of those words, uh, 
riches, glory, and mystery. And we're going to do it backwards because it's easier to understand the the flow of logic. Uh, So we'll begin with the mystery of God. What does Paul mean when he talks about the mystery of God? It's right there at the heart of this text, and it's the word that's most often repeated in this text. Uh, And Paul says that his life and his his ministry is all about this, this mystery. He's devoted to it. He says in verse 25, for example, I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you. And here's his calling, his specific calling for him as a missionary, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations. That's Paul's calling, his life's purpose. Now, I do take an issue with the ESV translation here. Um, When it says in verse 25, to make the word of God fully known, in the Greek, it actually, Paul actually just says to fulfill the word of God. So it's interpreted by the ESV as in, in terms of preaching. I'm going to make the word known. But he, he does just say, I'm going to fulfill the word of God. Uh, and, and I believe that's what Paul actually meant to say. Uh, he's saying by his ministry, he is bringing that mystery to pass. He's fulfilling something in the Word of God. He's, he's the, the fulfillment of, uh, of something the Word of God said was going to happen. And, and that is what he calls this, this mystery. Now the Bible uses the word mystery differently than we do. Uh, when we talk about a mystery, we're talking about something that's, that's unknown, that you can't entirely uh, understand. For example, we say quantum mechanics is full of, of mysteries. Uh, or some of you men might say, my, my wife is a mystery. means I, I can't fully comprehend her. I can't understand her. Uh, that's how, how we in English use the word mystery. It's something we can't figure out, or maybe even something you're saying we'll never figure out. So we call it a mystery. Well, when the Bible talks about a mystery, it means something a little bit different. It refers to something that used to be hidden, but now is beginning to be revealed. Uh, So there's not the hopelessness that we have when we talk about mysteries. Uh, Here it's something that can be seen, can be understood, but used to be hidden. Um, And in the New Testament, it almost always refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Almost everywhere you find the word mystery, it it, it refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something that was hidden, but is now apparent. Uh, And that's how Paul defines it in our text as well. Uh, For example, verse 27 again. uh, The riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, so he's going to define it, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Uh, Again, chapter 2, verse 2. He says, uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So he defines it twice. uh, Christ in you, and then simply Christ. So this mystery refers to Christ. Uh, and, and I would say more broadly, it's, it's the plan of salvation that God had in mind through all the ages to be revealed in Jesus Christ. So in that sense, it was hidden in former times. We didn't know exactly how God was going to deliver us until Jesus Christ came and did it. Um, and, and this is how Paul also defines it uh, virtually everywhere else in all of his letters. 
It's actually quite amazing how common this language of mystery is in, in the letters of Paul. For example, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, he says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Or Ephesians 1, verse 9, God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this mystery is how God is going to save the world through Jesus Christ. It's the the secret plan of God that is now not secret anymore. It's now revealed in in Christ. Um, And one of the the major aspects of this mystery, that almost everywhere Paul speaks of mystery, it's directly tied to this one aspect of the gospel, uh, which is the fact that through all the ages, as God was caring for Israel, shepherding Israel, leading Israel to himself, God had in his mind all along the salvation not just of Israel, but of the whole world. And he says, that's a mystery. Uh, We Jews didn't see that. It was there all along, but we didn't understand it for what it was. Uh, And that's why we read Ephesians 3 uh, as well. Uh, Ephesians 3 verse 1 through 11 very clearly defines this element of, of mystery. Uh, So he says, this is Ephesians 3, verse 1. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known. You see that formerly hidden. Not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, here he's going to define it again, this mystery is that the Gentiles, or nations, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, the heart of this mystery, the thing that's most surprising and mysterious about it, is the fact that God, throughout history, has always had his eyes on all the nations of the world. Uh, That even as he was giving his special attention to Israel, he had never forgotten about the nations. That's the mystery. And it's a mystery because many Jews of Jesus' day and Paul's day, had come to the conclusion that God was really only interested in Israel. Uh, They recognized, because the Bible does speak of it, they recognized that someday Israel will be a blessing to all the nations. Uh, uh, That was the promise given to Abraham, after all. But they never understood how Israel was going to be a blessing or what blessing that was going to be. And, and it, so it never really figured into their, their hopes and dreams for Israel. They saw the, the, whole, the fullness of the promises of God as simply being the salvation of Israel, with some extra benefits for, for the nations. Uh, so they were looking for the overthrow of the Romans, the restoration of the nation of Israel, and for them that was enough. Just the salvation of Israel. For them, that was the plan of salvation that God had in mind. 
Well, what Paul discovered on, on the road to Damascus as he was going to persecute Christians for the cause of restoring the nation of Israel, that was his hope and dream as well, what he discovered was that his understanding of the purposes of God was far, far too small. He discovered there on that road, or perhaps in the months afterward, that God had his eyes not just on Israel, but on the entire world, on all the nations of the world. That's what the Lord Jesus made abundantly clear uh, right before he ascended when he told the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, Go, therefore, and make disciples of not the tribes of Israel, but of all the nations. And as it turned out in in God's wisdom, Paul ended up being the the instrument to, to begin that world mission. So he saw that as the great mystery of, of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what we need to understand as we think about that, that mystery. God's plans of redemption and salvation for the world are much, much bigger than we are able to see or even able to imagine. They are much bigger God's God's plans for this world that He will accomplish through Jesus Christ, if if we saw them for what they were, they would blow our minds. They are much greater than we imagine. Uh, It's so easy for us, just like the Jews of Paul's day, to settle for a limited vision of God's purposes in Christ. Uh, We forget, for example, on on the micro scale... We forget what a magnificent work it is when an individual comes to know Jesus Christ. And we settle for less than. We think, yeah, if they, if they have a little faith, if they uh, go to church, that's, that's good enough. What can you expect beyond that? But God works a mighty thing in the hearts of people who come to know Jesus Christ. Uh, On the macro scale, we also settle for less. We figure, you know, if God gathers a church, a little, a few individuals from every country, a few churches in every country, that's pretty good. That'll be good enough. That's not the plan of God. The plan of God is for all the nations to bow before Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we assume when we look at world history, and we see the church over 2,000 years having exploded throughout all the world, conquering so many nations already, and, and we tend to look at that and assume, well, that's probably as good as it's, as it's ever going to get. You know, it's gone a long ways over 2,000 years. It's pretty good. Let's settle for that. Uh, and, and many Christians look at the future as if this is as good as it gets, and from here it's going to get worse and worse until finally the end of the world comes. Uh, we figure, you know, people here in Alora, in our communities, they're never going to believe the gospel anyways. Our, our country's headed towards doom. Uh, the, it's all apostasy, and so we settle for less, at least at least Christ saved the church out of this country before it all went to hell in a handbasket, as, as the saying goes. We settle for less, just as Paul did in his day. Uh, we settle for less in our own lives, again, on the micro scale as well. We figure, you know, we know Christ. We go to a Reformed church. Uh, this is probably as good as it gets. Uh, a nice culturally Christian life, uh, maybe Bible study once a week, church on Sunday, that's 
pretty good. And so we stop growing. We stop pursuing Christ. We assume that there's no more progress to be made in our faith and in the Christian life. We lose that sense of wonder that brand new believers have as they stumble into the glory of Christ and realize there's no plumbing the depths of the glory of Christ. There's no end to the growth and the transformation that happens in in a Christian life. We lose that sense of wonder at the fact that we've been brought from a kingdom of darkness, alienated, hostile to God, and brought into the kingdom of God's Son, the kingdom of light. What an amazing thing that it is. Yet we lose our sense of wonder. Uh, we, We lose our perspective at the fact that we've been brought to know God Himself in Jesus Christ. And God Himself lives within us. And, and when we lose that perspective, we no longer come to God expectantly, knowing that we are encountering the power of Almighty God every time we pray, and that He lives and works within us. So we don't, when we settle for less, we, we don't pray with power. We don't hunger and thirst with an expectation that God will teach and do mighty things in us. And we find ourselves underwhelmed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just meh. It's just, yeah, that's what it is. That's just the gospel. It's underwhelming. Well, brothers and sisters, if you are underwhelmed by Jesus Christ, if, if knowing Him and being brought into His kingdom are underwhelming realities for you, then I would submit you've forgotten who He is. That's why Paul gave us that list of the glories of Jesus Christ uh, that we looked at last week. Paul would have us remember what we have in Christ. Uh, When Paul came to know Jesus Christ, his limited, settled for less perspective was broken, was shattered. Uh, He had been happy to settle for a, a, a national restored Israel, and he figured that was good enough. And the nations out there, all at Rome, Greece, Athens, it's not a nation, that's a city, uh, all those other nations out there, they, they may as well just go to hell. They're, they're not going to believe in God. There's no hope for them. At least God's going to save Israel. That was his genuine perspective. Well, when Paul met the risen Lord on, on the road to Damascus, that pathetic vision for the future of the world was utterly shattered for Paul. That was when he realized that the significance of who Jesus was, and as he, as he heard the voice of Jesus and saw that light that, that threw him to his knees on, on that road, that was when he realized how glorious Christ was and how great his plans were for the world. And I would submit to you that we too have only begun to realize the glory of Christ's vision for the world, both, both out in the world among the nations and also in terms of the, the, the depth of transformation that happens in each of our own individual hearts. We, we let our vision diminish. We settle for less on both fronts. The reality is if you've seen Christ through the Spirit working in your life, you need to know that what Christ has done in you, whether you're 70 or 80 year old, uh, years old looking back, or whether you're uh, 15 or 20 years old still looking forward, what Christ has done so far in you is barely 
the beginning. You will be utterly and absolutely changed. Uh, Paul and the Colossians and, and the early Christians threw their lives away as they were dragged and, and thrown to lions. And they threw their lives away glo- uh, gloriously and gladly because they realized how magnificent, how worthy the kingdom of Christ was, how much better that was than anything they could ever lose on earth. And so as we reflect on, on what Paul is saying here about the, the mystery of Jesus Christ, I think the first exhortation that comes from this for us here in Alora is that we must not grow disenchanted or underwhelmed by Christ. Don't let it happen to you in your Christian life. If you are underwhelmed or unimpressed with Christ, it's not because Christ is underwhelming or unimpressive. It's because you're not looking at Him anymore. It's, it's because you're setting your sights uh, on, on something else and not the riches that are ours in Christ. You're, you're looking for something better from somewhere else. Uh, Paul says in verse 3 that the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are all hidden in Christ. You don't have to... Uh, you don't have to find them somewhere else, and you won't find them anywhere else. Look to Christ, spend time with Christ, pursue Christ, and you will find treasures of wisdom and knowledge that do not compare with anything you'll find anywhere else. Uh, most of the world doesn't see those treasures, though they, they will. Uh, Habakkuk 2, verse 14, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as much as the waters cover the sea, which is pretty much. Uh, what others don't see are there. Those treasures are there, and the world will come to know them. Now, Paul was, uh, when Paul came to know Christ, he was blown away by the glory and the wisdom of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The great things that God was going to unleash on the world through Jesus Christ. The birth of the church. The conquering of Rome. uh, The transformation of countless, indeed countless, human hearts. And he was rightly, appropriately overwhelmed by the knowledge of that glory. So overwhelmed that for him, it, it was a small thing to be jailed, to spend the rest of his life, and to face possible death for the sake of the gospel. That's a small thing in comparison to the glory of the gospel that he was preaching. Uh, That's why he says in verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? Because I'm suffering for such a glorious gospel. Those sufferings are uh, pathetic in comparison to the, the glory of what God will do in Jesus Christ. And in God's plan, those sufferings, that jail time, those persecutions, God was using to further that work of the gospel. So he says, I can rejoice in all of these sufferings, knowing what glorious things they are accomplishing. Uh, Brothers and sisters, I think Paul would plead with all of us to then not be underwhelmed with this Christ, but to look to Him again, to discover in Him the glory of God's wisdom and God's amazing goodness 
in His plans for this world. To realize that what God can do and indeed will do in this world before the end of times comes. Uh, you can think of the, the mystery of, of God's plan of salvation in if you want a picture of it, you can think of it in terms of a flower uh, that, that is, there, there's something beautiful and glorious that's hidden for a time as that flower is closed. Uh, but through the ages, it, it slowly unfolded and when Christ rose and ascended into glory, that's that, that moment, these flowers sometimes have this, this moment where suddenly they burst open. That was the moment when the, that glorious flower, the, the God's plan of salvation burst open and you could see all the glory, all the colors for what they were. And, and what you see there is what was there all along. God's vision for the nations became clear when Christ ascended, but it was there all along. And, and the reality is that plan of salvation, that flower, is still blooming. Uh, God's God's work is still unfolding in this world. Who would have imagined over the last couple of decades uh, the the explosion of the church in China, in communist China where it's illegal uh, to be a member of of a true Bible-believing church? Who would have imagined how much the church has grown such that before long there will be more believers in China than in all of North and South America? Who would have imagined such things? Uh, Who would have imagined a few decades ago when the Soviet Union was still closed to the gospel and we didn't know if there were any Christians there or whether the gospel would ever make inroads there? Who would have imagined how much the church has grown in just a few short decades? This is the, the glorious work of God unfolding in our times. Now, I think Paul would plead with, with us here... Uh, Don't let it be only the nations out there who discover the glory of Christ and the glory of God's plans for them and for the whole world. Uh, While we sit at home and are are underwhelmed and and perfectly happy to settle for less. Uh, Or to say it another way, don't let it be only those that are out on the streets uh, among our neighbors and in growing evangelical churches uh, in our area. Don't let it be only them as they first encounter the gospel. Don't let it be only them that discover the glory of Christ while we in a Reformed church that has all these glories as our inheritance, our treasure from, from many generations, while we might speak much of Him in words and be unimpressed with Him in our hearts. I'm not saying that is the case. I'm saying don't let it be the case. Uh, let, let us rather be daily enraptured with the glory of Christ and aware, uh, as Calvinists who believe in the sovereignty of God, aware of the glorious things that He can and still will accomplish both in our own lives on, on the micro scale as well as in the world on the macro scale. Uh, the, the nations out there that still need to know the gospel, God can and will reach them. That's the, the mystery then that Paul is speaking about, the, the glorious things that God has done and is doing through Jesus Christ and still will do in all the nations. That's our first point. The rest will go very, very quickly. Uh, secondly, the, the glory of God. So again, the expression we're trying to unpack here is the, the riches of the glory of the mystery. So we've unpacked a bit of the, 
the mystery. And now we, and when we see that, we already begin to see the glory of God in Christ. Uh, the more we recognize the amazing things that God is doing, the more we praise Him, the more we see His wisdom, His power, His goodness, His mercy to undeserving sinners like us. Uh, and it should lead us to, to say, what an amazing, uh, what a powerful, what a good and wise God we know through Jesus Christ. How absolutely glorious He is. Uh, so again, verse 27. Let's take a look at our, our main verse again. To them, to the saints, to the believers in Christ, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in or you could also translate that among, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, we ought to be absolutely amazed every single day that Christ dwells among us. Canadians, far, far off from Palestine, totally estranged from the gospel, Christ has come to us, and, as, and we have come to know Him in a way that before Christ, the Jews of the Old Testament never knew Him. They knew Him, but never to the degree that we now know Him in Christ. Uh, because of Christ, we have a deeper, closer, more intimate relationship with God than the Jews in the Old Testament had ever known. Uh, and Paul was just as overwhelmed and amazed by that as he began his mission among the Gentiles. He was floored to see these Gentiles, these estranged people, coming to know God and being filled with His wisdom and power as the Spirit was at work in their lives to know Him better than His own brothers and sisters in Judaism. Uh, to recognize that God was in and among them in all of His power and might. Uh, that completely shattered his former vision of the world. I remember having a similar reaction myself when I first visited the mission fields of Brazil. And I think some of you also had that as, as uh, Pastor Luna preached here uh, earlier in January. When uh, you, you see in, in this believer the wisdom of God, the work of God transforming his life, a deep Christian maturity that we often don't expect to see in, in our mission fields. Uh, and, and I remember witnessing in Brazil too, in, in believers that I never before even knew existed, uh, the, the faith, the maturity, the love, the sacrifices that Christ was producing in them that very often far surpass our own maturity, faith, wisdom, love, and, and, and sacrifice. Uh, it, it's a mind-boggling thing to see and to know that it's happening not just there, but everywhere where the gospel is going throughout this world. That's what so floored Paul, who was used to this idea of only the Jews will ever get to know God. And, and the Gentiles, uh, maybe at best they have some knowledge, but uh, really just... Uh, there's not much hope for them. And, and he looked and he saw Christ at work in these Colossians, these Greeks, at work in a way that was never seen before in Israel. That's why he calls it such a, a mystery. We never saw it coming. When you get a glimpse of what Christ is doing and has done and still intends to do on, in the world, both on that macro level and on the micro level in each individual believer, 
then you go away with a much, much more glorious understanding of God himself manifested through, through Jesus Christ. You, you, you see it and you immediately react with wonder and praise at our God who would do such a thing in so many lives and hearts. And that, uh, the knowledge of God's glory through Christ is the most powerful, life-transforming thing that can ever happen to you. The more you know God's glory, the more it will change your life. And that brings us then to the riches. So again, the riches of the glory of the mystery. The more you see the glory of God, the more there are uncountable riches in your own life to be obtained. Uh, the, The more we come to know the glory of God, the more that knowledge turns our lives on their heads. Uh, those who were formerly filled with hostility to God, this is verse, um, verse 21 and following, those who formerly were hostile to God and alienated, estranged from Him, when they encountered the glory of God in the person of Christ, suddenly their lives were turned on their heads. And those who were formerly uh, hating God, Uh, God became the center of their very existence. The one whom they love and serve above everyone else. And this is true of every one of us as well. That we who by nature would hate God have been given a love for God that is life transforming. We are changed irreversibly. Uh, Those who formerly were hating one another, filled with hatred, using, abusing one another, and being used and abused by one another, greedy, selfish, uh, empty, belonging entirely, wholesale to that kingdom of darkness, are now filled with the only thing that can ever satisfy their starving souls, which is the knowledge of God himself, the love of God manifested in Christ. It's a life transformation. Again, those who, who formerly envied and lusted and, and stole and coveted have been brought face to face with their Creator who instead of uh, coming out against them in His anger and burning them uh, and, and, and demolishing them as, as they rightly deserved, instead He meets them in His sacrificial love in Christ who laid down His life to pay the price for their sins, so that they could be reconciled, restored, and brought near to God. So that they can learn what it means to be at peace with their God. Not under His anger and judgment, dreading death because they know what comes after death, but rather covered with His blood, so that they could come to know the depths of His love and look forward to eternity of fellowship with Him. What a transformation occurs in every believer who comes to know the Lord Jesus. When you encounter then the glory of God in the person of Jesus, everything you used to chase after, everything uh, that, that you once loved in the kingdom of darkness, you now despise, you now abhor. Everything you once despised, that, that Bible, that old religious stuff, that, that presence of God, uh, that nearness of God, everything you once despised and thought little of or even hated, you now treasure above everything else, uh, indeed above life itself. Your steadfast love, Psalm 63, is better than life itself. What a transformation occurs when you come to know the glory of God. And and the best word that Paul can think of then for for the, the results, the outflowing of that knowledge, the best word he can think of is riches. 
How else do you explain it? They are, they are just treasures. They are they're riches uh, in our own lives. Uh, it, it's the greatest wealth imaginable because everything in life is changed. Everything that was broken is healed. Uh, every sin and addiction that was impossible to conquer is utterly vanquished in Christ. We receive God's nearness, which to us is greater riches than life itself. We come to know the glory of God, which is the very thing we were created to know and to love and to rejoice in. And we witness the power of God in our lives, working through us, working in us. Riches. The best word you can think of for it is just riches. And beyond that, we are headed for glory. And we are going to know those riches beyond description. So Paul talks about Riches. It's also in verse 2. He talks about the riches of full assurance of understanding. Again, you've got a a three-tiered level here, and we're not going to unpack that one in in the same detail. Uh, But you see the riches of full assurance of understanding. So that understanding of Christ brings assurance in Christ, and that assurance brings riches in our our lives. Riches in every dimension of, of our lives. Uh, That's also why we study the Word of God. Again, knowledge brings, or understanding brings assurance, which brings riches. So we we delve into the Word of God, that we would gain understanding and assurance and experience those riches. That's why every one of us should be committed to reading and meditating on the Word of God. Because it's through those devotions that we'll grow in that understanding and assurance and experience of riches. The more we get into the Word of God and let it take root in our minds and reach down into our hearts, the more we will be enraptured and overwhelmed with the glory of God. And it is always life-changing. So it's so there it's riches of assurance of understanding. Uh, and and the, the exhortation for us certainly would be go and pursue that understanding of Christ. Uh, and and, and to, just to see the value of that assurance, how, how precious, how rich that is, I want to read just a, a couple excerpts from the, the Canons of Dort, which speak at length about assurance. Um, chapter 1, verse 13. Just hear the riches in this statement. The awareness and assurance of this election provides the children of God with greater reason for daily humbling themselves before God, for adoring the depth of His mercies, for cleansing themselves, and for fervently loving Him who first loved, uh, first so greatly loved them. And you see the riches in a statement like that. Or uh, chapter 5, verse 10. This assurance is not produced by a certain private revelation beside or outside the Word. So he's saying it comes through that understanding. Through understanding comes assurance, but by faith in the promises of God, which He has most abundantly revealed in His Word for our comfort. Also by the testimony of the Holy Spirit, witnessing with our spirit that we are children and heirs of God. You hear the riches that are there. And finally, by the serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and of good works. And if the elect did not have in this world the solid comfort or assurance of obtaining the victory and this unfailing pledge of eternal glory, they would be of all men most miserable. Without that assurance, we would be impoverished. But with it, we are abundantly rich. 
Nothing is more precious to believers than the assurance of God's grace to them, God's immeasurable grace in Jesus Christ. And the path then to that assurance begins in understanding, which happens through the Word of God. That's Paul's prayer also here, if you remember our first sermon. His prayer was that they would grow in understanding and in power. Um, And that, uh, that understanding begins in digging deep into the Word of God. Um, one more uh, just comment from this text. Paul also mentions that these, these riches come in part through having our hearts, this is verse uh, 2, having our hearts as a church knit together in love. In other words, we also need each other to obtain that understanding and assurance. Uh, we, God has given us to each other. And, and for our hearts to be uh, knit together, it's an interesting expression, our hearts are knit together, so they're woven together, uh, means that also our lives are intertwined with one another. We care for one another. We serve each other. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We are bound up together as one body. And that's the context where riches and assurance and understanding come. Uh, so that's, that's a profound and important point also for us to take to heart. Uh, God has given us to each other so that we would progress in that assurance and understanding together. That's where maturity happens. Uh, and, and Paul exemplifies that in his own life as he struggles and prays for and gives thanks for the churches with whom he was working. It's also why he says that I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Um, There's a strange phrase he uses in verse 24. He says, In my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I don't want to get into too much detail about what he means by that. It's a strange phrase. What what could possibly be lacking in the afflictions of Christ? Uh, So I was almost tempted to skip it together, but in case there are questions about it, uh, Paul is not saying there's something absent in Christ's afflictions, something not yet sufficient. What he's saying is we as Christians are called to imitate those afflictions, to walk the Calvary road, to bear our cross, to use the words of Jesus, and we're not there yet. He's saying in my flesh there's still something lacking. I haven't suffered to the degree that my Savior has suffered, but he calls me to go down that road. So that's the the lack that that he's speaking of. Uh, And so let's finish on, on that note. Paul would plead with us, to have our eyes fixed on our Savior, open to the glory of all that He's done for us, not only out in the world, but also in each of our own hearts, and then to pursue that Christ with all our might, notwithstanding the sacrifices, the sufferings, the afflictions that we will certainly endure. Open your eyes to see the wonders of the Gospel, and go like Christ. In Hebrews 12, verse, uh, verse 2, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. The joy that comes from knowing that glory is what gives us the strength to endure that cross. Uh, so, brothers and sisters, press forward together as we're knit together. Help one another to bear your crosses, to walk the Calvary road in the footsteps of our Lord, pursuing the glory that he has already obtained for us. Stand together, pray together, pursue Christ together, knowing that you are never going to finish. You will never plumb the depths of Jesus Christ. At every level, 
And this is why we will praise Him for eternity. At every level, we will find new glory, new amazement. And the more we understand, the more we will be assured, and the more we will find riches, abundant riches in our lives. So pursue Him and know that He is the most precious, rich possession you could ever have. Amen. Let's respond.